Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, as we continue our sermon series on race and religion, we recognize that, that while not all things are equal in this life, there is one thing that makes us equal. Today, we're going to look at God's definition of what makes us equal and rejoice that it is the blood of our Savior, Jesus. Almost 250 years ago, Thomas Jefferson inked the words of the Declaration of Independence. And I'm guessing that some of you out there at some point in a government class or history class or civics class had to memorize at least this part of the Declaration of Independence. Right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they've been endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, raise your hand if you had to learn that once upon a time. Okay, okay, I feel good. A lot of you had to learn that at some point. Yeah. But we look around the world, right? And we say, well, created equal doesn't mean equality, does it? We certainly don't see equality for everyone in this life. And I suppose we could say, what a great world it would be if everyone had equal opportunities and equal success in this life, right? If socioeconomic factors weren't part of what is, happens in our world, if family considerations didn't make a difference, if there were abilities that were the same across the board. But we know this side of heaven, that can't happen. This week I actually saw this little chart that I put up on the board there and I found it a little bit interesting. And for those non-sports fans out there, which is perfectly fine, I'll introduce you to the person on the board. His name is Patrick Mahomes. He happens to be the quarterback for the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs from last year. And just recently he signed a contract extension. Now, I don't know how you feel about the money that is paid to professional athletes. We can argue about whether it should be paid or not. But I think sometimes we hear these numbers and they're so big that they seem a little bit like monopoly money, right? Like, oh, yeah, well, $50 million. Well, I thought it was interesting broken down. So that's why I shared this with you. Just take a look at this chart with me for a second. So if Patrick Mahomes' $503 million 10-year contract breaks down to $50 million a year, which means every single day he's earning $137,000. His hourly wage, this doesn't even count the hours that he works. This is all 24 hours of a day, right? Every 24 hours, he is making almost $5,800 an hour. Some of your jobs pay about that much, $5,800 an hour, probably not, right? One minute! Every minute, he makes $96, and every second, every time he takes a breath, he made another $1.60. Now, I'm not trying to pick on Mr. Mahomes. It's not his fault that people think that he's worth that, but I want to show you why equality is really difficult in this life, right? I might feel like I'm worth as much as Mr. Mahomes, but here's the problem. I can't throw a football like he can. I can't evade the defenders in a rush like he can. I can't do the things that he does, right? Here's what makes God's message of the Bible so amazing. While we won't see equality in life here in this world, when it comes to our opportunities, our salaries, our abilities, there is one place where equality is guaranteed. And that's in the message of the Bible. The message that God shares with how you and I stand before him. Equally condemned as sinners, but then equally saved. Equally redeemed by the blood of Christ. This is the truth of the Bible that's so comforting. Because it doesn't matter 
what your economic status is, what country you come from, what language you speak. It's the same for every single person. And so today we'll see Jesus as the great equalizer as we look at these words from Ephesians chapter 2. And as we see Jesus as the great equalizer, let's note a couple of things. First of all, that it's Jesus who breaks down walls. But then secondly, it's Jesus alone that brings peace. I want to start with verses 13 and 14 today and we'll back up a little bit to get into the verses of what Paul was saying. But here's at the heart of what he's wanting the people to understand, the people to whom he's writing, both Jewish people and Gentile people. And yet specifically in these verses, he's addressing the Gentiles in the Ephesian congregation. He says this, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. If you have a chance this week, it would be great for you to just go back and read the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Because as Paul speaks to the entire congregation in Ephesus, he puts them all as equals. All of us are dead in our transgressions and sins, he says, but all of us have been made alive by Christ. And in those first 10 verses, what Paul highlights more than anything is that we are saved by grace. You might remember hearing these words or learning them once upon a time from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When he's finished with that part, the great equalizer of how we're saved, he speaks specifically to the Gentiles. People who at one time, he says, were alienated from God's grace. They were outside of citizenship in Israel. The Gentiles felt as if they were on the outside looking in. They were excluded. But now, something changed. Aren't those two words beautiful in verse 13? But now, you who once were far away have been brought near. And there was only one way that that could happen. You've been brought near through the blood of Christ. It's Jesus' blood that made Gentiles and Jewish people the same. You might remember from reading about the early church, the early Christian church, the struggle that the early Christian church had with some bigotry, with some prejudice that was going on, particularly between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. There was hostility between those groups. Paul says it was fueled really by the law. You remember that the Old Testament shared with the Jewish people many rules and regulations by which they were to live their lives. Rules and regulations which separated them from other nations. Rules that pointed ahead to a Savior that was coming. And when Gentiles were coming to faith, the early Christian church had to struggle with how do we integrate them? How do we bring them into the church? How do Jewish people and Gentile people, how can we coexist when we look at life so differently? To the Jewish people, they had trouble putting away those laws that they had followed their entire lives. And they couldn't understand how Gentiles could be welcomed into God's kingdom without having to follow those laws. It's why Paul would write to the Colossians these words, all of those laws that separated the people of Israel as a nation were a shadow, a shadow of things to come. The reality was found in Jesus. The wall of hostility that stood between Jewish people and Gentile people could only come down in one way, when they, were both, they both recognized that they were reconciled by Jesus. 
The Apostle Paul talks about God's purpose clearly in bringing these two groups together by the blood of Christ in these words. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Thought about that word today in our world, the word hostility. We don't have to search very far to find hostility, do we? We see it in family relationships and rivalries. We certainly see it in our political landscape. We see it in wars and rumors of wars that constantly come up over and over. But then I think about my own life. And I wonder, what walls have I put up between myself and others? Have I limited God's love to others by the walls that that either intentionally or unintentionally we put up in our own lives? The truth of the matter is sin infects and affects every single one of us. Every single one of us looks at others and wants to make make ourselves feel better, find something about me that is more redeemable than what other people have, right? That's what happened when Adam and Eve fell into sin. They ruined God's perfect world, that perfect relationship that they had with God. And from that moment forward, an invisible wall went up. A wall of sin that stood between God and his people. But that's what Jesus came to tear down. Jesus coming into this world is tearing down that wall. Those words that Paul spoke to the Gentile Christians in Ephesus are words for us to hear too. But now, but now that wall that stood between us and God, that's gone. Torn down by the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, God sees you and me not as sinners, but as redeemed, as the holy people that he wants us to be because Jesus has taken care of all of our sins. We are forgiven. Whether Paul was thinking about the temple when he wrote these words about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles could be debated, but but certainly the Jews and Gentiles understood what it meant to have walls, what it meant to be kept out by walls. What I put on the board is a picture of the temple in Jesus' day, Herod's temple. And I know you probably can't read all of the words, but you can see that this is the temple area in the middle here. And on the outside is a courtyard. It's actually called the courtyard of the Gentiles. When the Gentiles were in that outer courtyard, there was a wall all the way around the inside courtyard. And there were gates to be for the Jewish people to enter the inner part of the temple area. But on those gates were signs. Signs that said to anybody who wasn't Jewish that if you entered this area, you could do so under penalty of death. Can you imagine what that made Gentiles feel like? Can you understand where they felt like maybe they were on the outside looking in? Because the blessings that God was bringing through the promised Messiah seemed to be specifically for the Jewish people. When Paul says walls have been torn down, the dividing walls of hostility have been torn down, he's pointing out to Gentiles, to Jewish people, to you and to me, that the blood of Jesus is that great equalizer. It does take away all walls. It makes us all the same before God. The same in terms of sin, but even more the same in terms of the Savior who took our place and died for our sins. The blessed result of Jesus as the great equalizer is peace that only he can bring. Here's how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. 
For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. What Paul wanted both the Gentile and Jewish Christians in Ephesus to know, what he wants you and me to know, is that God's peace through Jesus is for all people. And that's the only way it comes, is through Jesus, through the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make on the cross to shed his blood for our sins. Yes, there's a peace that comes, and first and foremost, that peace is a peace between God and his people. That that invisible wall of sin has been taken down. We have peace with God because our sins are gone. But it also creates a second peace, a peace that God wants to see between us and each other. He wants us to see this peace as we recognize that we're all the same when it comes to the way God looks at us. God looks at each one of us in a special way, as his own creation, as a soul that's been redeemed by God. That's what Paul's driving home to the Jewish and Gentile Christians in Ephesus. When they looked at each other in those terms, how could they say anything except, we're one in Christ? And to drive that point home, he uses three unique pictures to share with the Gentiles that put them on equal footing with the Jewish Christians. First of all, he calls them, says that they're no longer strangers or foreigners. They're not on the outside looking in anymore. They aren't a group of people that it wasn't included in the promises that God made. He gets a little bit more specific in the next one when he calls them fellow citizens of God's kingdom. They belonged. They were a part of, of what God wanted to demonstrate to all people his salvation. And then the relationship gets even closer. Paul says you're members of God's household, members of God's family, God's children, and heirs of eternal life. That's the peace that Jesus brings to all people. I wondered to myself as I thought about this this week is how often do I seem to forget that? Do I seem to forget that my peace comes from only one thing? Not my own behavior, not something that I can do to earn something before God, but the peace that Jesus alone brings. And as I forget that, maybe it's why I put up some of those walls with other people. Because I'm so busy trying to figure out a way that I can make myself look better to God that I forget that Jesus has already done it. But maybe there's some of you here that feel a little bit like the Gentiles to whom Paul wrote. Maybe you feel a little out of place. Maybe you look around and you see people who have been lifelong Christians and you think, well, that's not me. I'm never going to measure up to what those people can do and what they've been a part of. I think about those who are joining us at home via the live stream today and waiting for their opportunity to come back to worship and wondering, my disconnect from the body of believers, is, is that hurting me? Is that something that changes my status before God. Those two little words that we talked about before, but now, that's for all of us this morning. But now, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the great equalizer. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross makes us equals before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by the grace that came through Jesus Christ. Any walls of hostility are torn down by those two simple facts that we all stand before God sinful, but we all stand before God redeemed by Jesus himself. Here's the amazing thing, that that as God tears down those walls of hostility, he actually wants to build something up. We're being built up, he says, into a temple. 
into a church, into a body of believers to show praise to God and to reach out to others. That's God's view. God's view of all people is the same. He sees them as souls for whom he has died. And it's the peace that you and I have in knowing what I do, what I've done, it's already forgiven in the blood of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote this about our peace in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He wrote this, Therefore, since we are justified by his grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To wrap up the chapter, let's read just the last couple of verses of chapter 2, uh, verses 20 and 22, where the Apostle Paul demonstrates what we have become, what God has built us up into, a, holy, a temple of the Holy Spirit built on Jesus himself. He writes this, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building joined, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Question number one, or point number one, the walls of hostility are easily built. It's only Jesus that tears down those walls of hostility. When we recognize our equality before God in Jesus, that's when those hostile walls subside because we recognize that God cares for everyone. Point number two, all people are equal as sinners and as God's redeemed. To God, what you make, what country you're from, none of that matters. To God, you are a soul that Jesus paid for, who he died for on that cross. And then finally, number three, God's peace builds us into a unified people filled with his spirit. When those walls of hostility are torn down, then God goes to work building us up into the body of believers, the church that serves here for him. Robert Frost wrote a poem oh, a little over 100 years ago called Mending Walls. If you've never read it, inside that poem is a phrase that some people have sort of seized upon that says this, good fences make good neighbors see some of that in our world today, don't we? People who put up fences around their yard to kind of keep other people out, to keep to themselves. And I thought to myself, it's really a blessing that God doesn't think that that's true, that good fences make good neighbors. Because first of all, what God did is he tore down a wall. He tore down the wall of sin that stood between Jesus or between us and him by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And not only does that tear down that wall, but it tears down the walls of hostility between us, us and others as it unites us in Christ. Here's a thought for you for this week. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, whether you recognize them before or not, think about maybe some of the walls that you've put up in your own life. Walls that, that maybe close off others to the love of Jesus that you know is your peace and the peace that you want other people to have. Identify those walls and then let the love of Jesus tear them down. Let the love of Jesus break those walls down so we recognize the great equalizer that the blood of Jesus is. It's love and it's life for you and for me and for all people. Amen. Peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.